My daughter was laughing at me because she thinks it's really silly that I'm sitting here. This is definitely not my preference, so, but uh, everyone would probably prefer not to see me slap my head against this stage if I <laughs> fell down. So, um, all right, we are going through the Gospel of John. Um, I think this is our fourth week this week. So the last couple weeks, uh, we've been focused on John the Baptist, and he has been relentlessly pointing us to Jesus. And uh, so eventually we're going to get to that point in the story, and that, that begins kind of today where we really get more explicit about Jesus himself uh, and what he's doing, what he's come for, and so forth. So uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. If you've got Bibles, you want to swipe on your devices, uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 35. Um, yeah, so I'm going to read these verses, and then we'll talk through them. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So kind of where we're going to, um, I guess this is where we're at a lot of times uh, in all of our sermons, but where we're going to kind of focus in this morning is, um, where's the gospel? A great interpretational question about any part of the Bible is, where's the gospel uh, or the good news of Jesus in these verses? Uh, How is the gospel the solution to any problems that are being raised or issues that are being encountered here? And so that's kind of where we're going to be this morning. So we begin here with... Uh, John making a statement in verse 36 that is similar or the exact same statement that he made last week. Uh, He says, behold the Lamb of God. And uh, I kind of picture this in my mind um, where since he said it the day before, this is the day after next week. So we're week after week, so in two weeks. But what happened last week, what we talked about and what's happening this week is just two days. It's just the next day that it's happening. And so John, it's, it's almost like this thing where he's like, uh, maybe starstruck at some level, but kind of glazed over, probably kind of how I feel this morning, just kind of glazed over, and he's saying, like, again, behold, the Lamb of God. Uh, and it's just kind of, he's maybe spacey at some level and, and just got this goofy smile on his face, which I'm sure that's not at all how it went down, but that's kind of how I picture him um, when I read this. Um, so he's saying, uh, Jesus... Being God's lamb, we talked last week about when John the Baptist is saying this, he's giving possession um, to this lamb being God. So Jesus is God's lamb, meaning he's the needed sacrifice for our sins or for the sins of all humanity. Uh, And we talked last week about how Jesus being the sacrifice is the greatest uh, or the resolution to our greatest problem. 
And, and I asked you last week, uh, at least for those who were in here, like, do you think about that reality, that your greatest problem is resolved? And for me, it was a great uh, thing to be thinking about this week as I really wanted to be healthy, uh, but to realize that my greatest problem was resolved. As much as I wanted to be healthy, physically healthy, uh, my greatest problem was resolved. Also, when, when I read John the Baptist saying this, and, and just his incessant pointing to Jesus, like he's not fixated on himself, he's continually pointing people to Jesus. I, I was thinking this week a little bit about the celebrity church culture. We, we live in a culture where um, people put a lot of emphasis on celebrities, right? And the church has become that way in many regards as well, where we've got these big personalities or these really dynamic speakers or preachers or authors or whatever it might be, and we, we will kind of just rave about who these people are and what they're writing, what they're saying, what they're doing at s- in some regard. Maybe, maybe they look really good. They're building these really big brands. But I think what we see in John the Baptist here, the way that he's acting is that um, it, it just speaks to his legitimacy of his calling, of of God working through his life. Uh, Because when we look at him, what we see is he's just continually pointing to Jesus. And and part of my encouragement is in this is you guys should expect uh, from any spiritual leader that those people are continually pointing beyond themselves, that they're pointing to Jesus ultimately. Uh, Because if... If it's about me, or, or even if, if I'm making this about you at some level, like I'm not ju- doing my job, I'm doing a disservice to you guys, and so you should expect that of me, and, and really, you should expect that of each other as well. Th- this is what it means to live as Christians, that we're continually pointing each other to Jesus. And, and so, if you ever find me, like, attaching my Twitter handle to to all kinds of stuff, or attaching my name to all this stuff, like, I, I want to make something of myself, you, you should just pause and, and come to me and be like, dude, what's up with that? Like, wh- what are you trying to do here? Because that, that's not what we want to be about in any way. And so, as we look at John the Baptist here, what we see him doing, saying, preaching, is that Jesus is the solution. He's continually pushing in that direction. And so for all of us, we should increasingly see and believe that Jesus is the solution. In all of life, Jesus is the solution that we are looking for. Now, two of John's followers hear John's description, Lamb of God, and they just follow Jesus, right? Verse 37 says that uh, they followed Jesus. Now, if someone did this today... Uh, we'd think that they're stalking us, right? Like they're, they're creeping on us at some level, um, especially given the fact uh, when they ask Jesus where he's staying, like Jesus is like, uh, what are you seeking? They're like, where are you staying? And they're like following him. Like the, the warning flags are going to go up right away, right? But Jesus isn't that way at all. Um, he wants them to follow him. And so when it says that they followed Jesus, this is talking about a couple of different senses. First of all, there's the obvious sense that they're, they're actually following Jesus physically, like uh, kids when they play follow the leader, right? Like they're just following Jesus. They're behind him in this regard. But, but the second sense of what's going on here is that they're taking 
the first legitimate steps of trusting Jesus, of following him uh, in a meaningful way. Now, there's not a lot of information given here regarding uh, what's going on in this exchange and so forth. We get a little bit and we get enough. Uh, the Bible deems, God deems this is enough for us, but uh, there's not a ton of information in terms of the exchange and so forth. If you go and look, read the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, you get a little more information about how and when and, and Jesus calls his disciples. And so, uh, actually, if you would read those and then read this, you might be a little confused because they kind of seem like, well, do they contradict each other at some level? And so I just want to say a quick comment about this uh, because in those uh, accounts, Jesus calls uh, the disciples and they're just, they're like cleaning their fishing nets and they're like, just leave them and they're like, go. And they're just bouncing out, they're with him, they're following him. It's, a, it's not like any interaction at all. He's just like, all right, we're going to follow him. And, and it's like, do they know anything about this guy? But I think what, what's going on is what we're reading in John is probably something that happened prior to the calling that we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So that this gives us a little understanding that there, there was some understanding on the part of the disciples uh, that they, they had interacted at some level, they knew who Jesus was at some level. So, uh, you know, God can do things in any way that he wants, right? If, if he's going to call people and he's going to reveal himself, like they'll be drawn to him, and, th and that could happen. They could just drop their nets and go and follow him. Um, but I think it, it does make a, a lot of sense that um, he comes to them and he has this little interaction that we read about here in John and he's going to spend time with them. They're going to follow him to where he's staying and they're going to have a conversation. We don't know all that goes on in that conversation, but we know that there's enough that happens there that these guys who follow him, that they're going to go and tell other people about Jesus. And so after all this happens, if we then kind of marry that up with what happens in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and these other gospel accounts, when Jesus comes to them maybe on another day and he says, come follow me, and they just drop their nets and they go, and they're like, we're in, that that makes a lot of sense, that he's revealed himself to them in some capacity. So I also think what goes on here is there's a physical representation of what happens in gospel ministry. So John the Baptist is preaching. He's telling people about Jesus. People hear this and they follow. And this is what happens in gospel ministry. The gospel is preached. The good news of Jesus is proclaimed. People hear it and they respond. And, and honestly, this is why I have tons of hope in my job. No matter how weak and feeble, no matter how faltering I might be in my words, the reality is if I point people to Jesus, that he will do stuff that I cannot do in and of myself. So if I keep pointing people to Jesus, somehow, some way, he'll work. He'll do what he wants to do in his way, in his time, and he'll accomplish his good work. And that's a promise that all of us can hold on to in our own Christian lives as we attest to how Jesus has been faithful to us, how he has called us to himself, how we share that good news with others, that God will do what he wants to do with that. He'll work in other people's hearts in the ways that he wants to work. All right, so Jesus sees these guys dogging him, and, and he's like, what are you seeking? And these guys reply with a completely sensible reply. They say, where are you staying, right? Like, that's a great answer to that question, right? Like, that's weird, right? At some level, that's weird that they answered that way. But I was thinking about this, and I thought, 
the way that these disciples uh, or going to be disciples are acting here is similar to kind of how I felt uh, in my first job out of college. I remember my first job out of college, I was totally overwhelmed. Like I, I had tons of questions. I was really insecure. And I, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to be able to find that person who I could trust and ask tons of questions about how to do this or why do we do this or why does the company do this and, and so forth. And so I feel like at, at some level they just wanted to be able to ask their questions quietly. And, and so I think what's inherent in their reply is the fact that they wanted to engage Jesus in a deeper way. Why they wanted to do this, we don't know exactly. Maybe they wanted a chance to ask more questions. They needed a safe space. They needed a different venue to be able to ask these questions. Maybe they were intimidated because they're lowly fishermen. Uh, their occupation isn't considered to be uh, a, a kind of top-notch occupation. Maybe they felt this at some level. They felt inferior uh, in some way. Or maybe, maybe when Jesus asked the question, what are you seeking? Maybe at some level they felt embarrassed or they felt shame about what they were really seeking. Maybe they knew that in their heart of hearts, what they were running after, what they were yearning for, was not the Messiah. It was not what they should be running after. Because Romans 3.11 says, no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. And so the reality is, we know that these individuals were not seeking for God in and of themselves. That they needed to be sought after. They needed to be sought after. And that's why they needed Jesus to come after them. So we don't know the why they wanted to spend all, or spend, um, go see Jesus' residence and spend time with him, but, but they did. So we know that Jesus' ultimate intent is not to just show some fellows his digs, right? This is where I'm saying, and it may, maybe these guys, uh, in wanting to go see where Jesus was staying, like they're the forerunners of MTV's Cribs, uh, and uh, they're like, hey, he's a king, he's the Messiah, like he's, he must have some pretty sweet uh, digs that, that he could show us. Maybe, probably not. I mean, that's probably not what's going down. Um, but Jesus' response uh, then in verse 39 is, come and you will see. Come and you will see. And Jesus' invitation here is twofold. Th there's the obvious um, invitation. He's saying, come to where I'm staying. Come to my residence. You, you can see where I'm at. And he said, come and see. You can see that physical abode. But what we realize, realize about Jesus is that he's always pushing from the physical to the spiritual. That the physical examples that we see are, are always shadows or pointing to greater spiritual realities. And so we know in this as well, when he says, come and see, he doesn't just want them to see where he's residing. He wants them to come and see himself. He, he knows that these men are not seeking him, that they are in some sense living in darkness. So he wants them to see that he is the true light, that he is what they are looking for. Even though they don't know that they're looking for that, even though they, they might not acknowledge they're yearning for him in certain ways, that he is what they want. He is what 
they need. He wants them to see who he is and what he has come to do. All his power, his sacrifice, his love, his justice. He wants them to see him for who he really is because Jesus knows that to come to him, to see him for who he really is, to believe in Jesus means that we will see things as we have never seen them before. We'll, be, we'll begin to see things rightly because sin fractures us. It fr- fractures our ability to see things rightly. And so when we see Jesus, when we trust in him, he begins to put together that which is broken. He begins to order that which is in chaos. And I love what this says about God, this when Jesus says, come and see. He wants us to see. He wants us to be able to know him. So so I don't know if any of you have ever gone through life or gone through seasons in life uh, where you feel like maybe God's playing with you, like he's messing with you, like he's playing a game at some level with you. But if you have felt that, if you feel that today, if you felt that in the past, that is not how God reveals himself. He does not create us so that he can just play with us and mess with us. He loves his creation. He wants what's best for us. Satan loves to toy with us. He, he wants to deceive us. He wants to mess with us. But for us to, the, to then start projecting on God these truths about Satan, we're buying into Satan lie, Satan's lies at some level. So we have to understand this is not how God reveals himself, as though he's, he's some uh, deity who just messes with people. He loves us and he wants what's best for us. And so if you find yourself thinking about God in this way, believing these things about him, uh, you need to understand that that is not biblical. That is not truthful in any way. That is Satan whispering lies to you about God. Now, one interesting, well, I think it's interesting, though, regarding uh, the Jewish tradition of teachers and learners, and Jesus kind of falls into line with this. So in this culture, with teachers and learners, um, the teachers did not go and find their learners. The learners had to go and find the teachers, okay? So uh, the learners would go, and they'd, they'd ask teachers, like, can I learn under you? And they would try to get that approval. They would try and get um, that uh, al- allowance for uh, underneath the, the teacher to, to say, yes, you can follow me, you can sit under me, you can learn from me, you can spend time with me at some level. But the, the learners needed to go to the teachers and get that uh, approval at some level. But what we see with Jesus is very countercultural in this because he's inviting this. In, he's inviting learners in to his realm. He, he, wants people, he wants people to know that they're welcome to come into his... So it's not as though he just waits for them to come to him, but he's going to be one who's going to go to them. And he's going to say, come near to me, come and see and draw near to me and follow me. And, and he's going to be inviting them into this. So we have to see here that Jesus is an initiator. He's an initiator 
And I think oftentimes in life, especially when we go through hard times, we, we can ask God, where are you at? What are you doing here? Uh, feeling like we're in, at some level having to find him, having to grope around in the dark uh, to kind of get his attention or to find him at some level. But he is the initiator. And he is the one who invites his learners to follow him. Another thing uh, we see about Jesus here, is, and that's instructive for us, is just that he's, and it's in line with this, but he's opening his life to these individuals. And, and I think this is really instructive for us as we think about um, living gospel-centered lives. Um, Jesus does this for us. Not so that we would then just enter into his presence and, and just enjoy it and put our feet up, but so that we would invite others in as well. So that others could experience his presence also. That we would then be initiators, we would be inviters. And, and I just love the fact of how natural it is for Jesus. Uh, he says, what are you seeking? And, and they're like, where are you staying? And, and so they're talking about his house. And so he's like, come and, come and see. Like, come into my house. And, and there are tons and tons of ways by which we can invite people into our lives as well. Whether it, you find out somebody likes to shop at the same place you like to shop at. They like to eat at similar places or eat similar food. And you can invite them into your life and to share those experiences or those foods with each other. You, maybe you like to go to similar parks or you like to watch uh, similar teams or similar shows or whatever it might be. There are tons of ways we can invite people into our lives. Now, I fully admit, it's easy to talk about this, right? Like it's fun to identify those things that we have in common with people, but then to invite them in is oftentimes where the sacrifice comes, where it gets messy, where we feel the pinch, where we're like, ah, I, I just, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm, I'm tired. I've worked this whole week. Uh, we got sickness. We've got, we can find a million excuses, right, to not do this. But this is why we need to continually stare at the gospel, to see how Jesus initiates with us, to see how he invites us in. Let that shape us inform us and instruct us. Uh, not so that we just white knuckle this and we just guilt ourselves, all right, fine, I got to do this. Pastor said, got to invite people into my life, got to initiate. This stinks. And that, that's not, like, God is not going for begrudging submission. He is not going for that. He wants your heart to be gripped by the beauty and the power of his grace so that when you see it, see him for who he really is, you want others to want that as well. All right. Verse 41 then. We see Andrew, who are one of the two disciples. Um, he goes to his brother. So he spent some time with Jesus. He goes to his brother and he says, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. So I want to talk a little bit about this phrase, we have found. Um, so there are some in the Christian faith that view salvation or the finding of Jesus as something that we just kind of stumble into. Um, 
Like, so, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a, a room where you've never been there before, and the lights go off, and, and you want to figure out how to turn the lights on, and, and so you're just kind of going along. Most of us would go, where's the door at, right? And we would try and check the wall that's by the door, but you're trying to find where's that light switch in this dark room? How can I shine light into this room? Um, and oftentimes, people can think this is what it means to become a Christian, or, or that becoming a Christian is something that we do. It's something that we accomplish in and of ourselves. But part of what we've seen already in these verses, in which the Bible talks about over and over and over, is that we don't find Jesus on our own. We don't seek him out on our own. We don't save ourselves. Jesus finds us, and he is the one who saves us. He comes to us, and in this, we see his kindness. We see his mercy, and, his, and he doesn't come to us because you or I are so impressive, because he looks at us and he says, ah, I need that on my team. He comes to us because he's gracious. None of us deserve it, but he comes to us despite us, and he loves us, and he invites us in. So Jewish people in the first century, Jewish people were looking for Jesus, right? We can say that uh, these disciples at some level were looking for Jesus. But the reason that they're looking for Jesus is because he had been promised for hundreds of years. And so he'd been, he'd revealed himself in that regard, to that degree. So he'd been revealed in that regard. So people were looking for him to some extent. Um, but there's also this, this other level or this other plane where, where no one seeks after God. And the testimony of Scripture is clear that Jesus calls people to himself. He is the one who calls them to himself. Ezekiel 34 uh, is a really interesting um, chapter, and I'm not going to give the context, but, but in here, God is talking. He's saying, I will seek my sheep. I am the one who is going to go and rescue them. I am the one who seeks out the lost. He is the one who does it. Not us. He is the one that does it. And then the result of this, of this truth, is that we don't admire ourselves for finding God. Right? We marvel at the fact that he found us. And not only that he found us, but he, that he came after us in the first place. But why would he do that? Not to shame us, not to guilt us, because he loves us. Because he loves and so he took shame upon himself to come after those, to rescue those who sought to shame him. And he took it upon himself so that he might seek us and rescue us because, as it says in Ezekiel 34, we're lost. We're lost and we'll never find our way home. We'll never find our way to him aside from him finding us. And then I love this reality. When, when Andrew finds Jesus, I love what he does. He's compelled to tell his brother, tells Simon Peter, right? He tells him that they've found the Messiah. Good news is meant to be shared. The gospel, 
or Jesus' death and resurrection is the greatest news in the world. It's meant to be shared in a ton of different ways, in a ton of different contexts, with your own story as it weaves its way into your own story. And that's what we see. John the Baptist told Andrew. Andrew told Peter. Peter would tell many, many people throughout his life. And, and this is what the gospel does. It compels this. It compels us to tell others, to share good news, to extend grace and kindness to others. This is uh, what we saw earlier with the come and see. So it's, it's just the come and see being proliferated that we, we come and we see and then we invite others to come and that they might see so that then they can also be part of that and they can invite people to come and see as well. Now, the reality is um, we are part of a culture where um, it's become difficult to, to share the gospel. One, oftentimes people just don't feel like they know what to say. They don't know how to go about doing this. Uh, we also live in a culture where people oftentimes, we can feel scared. Uh, what are people going to think of us? Um, are they going to judge us? Am I going to lose a friend? Uh, what is it, it going to look like? So we oftentimes can find ourselves not feeling compelled for a variety of reasons. We, we feel not compelled. And, and I just want to encourage you guys, because I, I know you guys struggle with this as well. Some of you have talked to me about this, that, that you struggle with this, that you don't feel compelled either at certain times or all the time. And, and I want to encourage you guys that this is something you should share in community. You should not feel ashamed about this because Satan wants you to be like, oh, you're the only one who does not feel compelled. And he wants you to just bottle that up, and maybe uh, try and start invoking, invoking some really serious spiritual disciplines in your life, and then maybe you can overcome this at some level. Uh, by working really hard or studying really hard at some level. Um, but the reality is, all of us struggle with this from time to time. And so my strong encouragement to you is that you share this in community. In your community group, if you're part of a community group, uh, with other friends, um, and just get this out in the open. Uh, this is not something... Uh, my hope is that we're creating a culture here where people are not going to judge you, where they're not just going to uh, pour shame onto your life. Um, I would love to have this conversation with you. And, and I think um, this even goes to the point, because some of us might, might not even want to uh, start wrestling with this, uh, because we might start wrestling with the question of, well, am I really even a Christian? Am I? And... If that question needs to be asked, then we ask that question. Okay? We don't want to run from that question. We want to press into that. We want to wrestle through this stuff. And so, I don't want you guys, uh, if you're finding yourself in this spot where, man, I'm just not, I'm not compelled to talk to people about the gospel, and, and I just don't see it as that good of news I want to invite you to get that off your chest, to share that with other people, to ask people to pray with you. Like, why is that? 
Why is that? Why is this not glorious news to me? Why is it a chore for me to even think about talking to others about this? Because that, that's not Jesus' intention in any way. He wants this news to be so good it blows you away. It blows you away and that you would be desiring to share this with others. Not just like blowing people over with it. Kindly, contextually sharing the goodness of Jesus in word and deed. In word and deed. And I think um, for all of us, we can look at our lives and just assess. Like how much do I talk about it? With whom do I talk about it? Why do I talk about it with these people to understand how good we really think it is? How good do you really think the gospel is? Do you think it's the best news in the world? Because that's Jesus' intention. That's his intention. All right. Uh, last thing here. Uh, in three different verses, um, we find a name being defined. So in verses 38, 41, and 42. So two of those names are Jesus' name being defined. The other one is he's giving a name. He's giving a name to somebody else. So, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one here, but I'm guessing I'm not. I think oftentimes in life, um, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with John the Baptist uh, starting off, Behold the Lamb of God. I think oftentimes in life, uh, we can find ourselves being focused on making a name for ourselves. And that can look a lot of different ways. It can be a salary. It can be a, a job title. It can be how our home looks. Uh, it could be uh, body image. It, it could be a ton of different things. The vehicles that we drive. Um, there are tons of ways by which we could try and make a name, intellect, uh, make a name for ourselves or maybe earn a name from others. We, we want other people to name us in certain ways, so we'll work really hard to be a certain thing or project ourselves in a certain way so that other people will uh, name us in a certain way. But I think one thing that's implicit here, it's not explicit in any way, but one thing that's implicit here for us as we think about um, Jesus as he's beginning to, to call people to himself is that uh, the emphasis, uh, when we think about the Christian life, the emphasis is always on Jesus' name. It's always on Jesus' name or the names that he gives to those that he calls. So saved, loved, called, child, friend, holy. And, and I love, like even with this idea of holy, like... Um, I think about my own life, right? I, I wrestle with sin. It's a continual struggle for me as well. And, and so, but God would, would say I'm holy. Not because I figured it all out and I, all of my actions are holy, but because when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. Not because I'm so impressive, but because I'm trusting in Jesus. And Jesus takes my spot on the cross. 
okay? So one thing that's really cool here is Jesus is naming Peter, and, and the name that he's given him is a rock. And, and if you know anything about Peter's story, the dude is so up and down. Like, he is all over the place. He's like the opposite of a rock throughout his life. And yet, Jesus gives him this name. And, and he, maybe he's not that today, but this is who Jesus is going to form him into. This is what he's calling him to. And, and I just love this reality for us as we think about who are we? What's our identity? The emphasis is on Jesus' name and the names that he gives to us. So there might be tons of names that this world will give you, right? But where you need to put your emphasis, where, where you need to put your roots is, what does God say? What does he say about you? And trust in that. Trust in him. Hope in him. All right. So gospel application. Um, we talk about gospel application, uh, and we differentiate uh, from a, maybe a normal application in, in a sermon. Um, it's not just application, it's gospel application, because um, I don't want you guys to leave here thinking these are all the things I need to do. Um, we call it gospel application because we want to remind ourselves this is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done. And that's what I want you guys thinking about as you leave. I want you guys to be reflecting on throughout this week who Jesus is and what he has done for you, how he loves you, how he has sacrificed for you. Um, so one thing I just want to press into here uh, at the end is Jesus asked this question of the two disciples when they're tailing him. He says, what are you seeking? And I think this is a question that we all need to ask ourselves. Uh, what are we seeking? And it's going to change minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, and week by week. A, a great name for yourself to be impressive in, in a certain way, a cer certain area of life. Uh, are you seeking peace or joy, value, riches? contentment. Because here's the reality. Whatever it is that you're seeking, it's ultimately found in the gospel. Whatever it is that you're running after today, it's ultimately found in the gospel. So uh, let me give an example here, okay? So I'm guessing all of us have been mad at somebody before, right? Uh, and wanted revenge at some level. Okay, so revenge is basically our biased attempt to invoke justice. Our broken idea of what justice might look like. Okay, that, that's what revenge is. It, we, we might think we know what lessons somebody else needs to learn, or we, we think we know what someone else might deserve. And, and so we might concoct in our mind all these different ways of getting revenge on somebody, getting back at somebody for something that they've done to us. But the reality is, true justice is not found in us. 
True justice is found in Jesus on the cross. And we find what we are looking for in him. Ultimately in him. So we might try and get justice or revenge on somebody else, but oftentimes uh, we're just going to make that situation worse at some level. So when we're seeking justice in a given situation, ultimately what we're longing for is Jesus, because that is where justice is ultimately found. Or for me this week, and my family now, like we, we want to be physically healthy, right? But physical examples are a means by which God's pointing to greater, ultimate spiritual reality. So I can think about my physical sickness and be like, man, this stinks. And it does. But it's a reflection. A reflection it's a shadow. It's just a hint of my spiritual sickness. And the fact that I need to be healed in an ultimate way. And that, the way by which I'm healed is Jesus. So my yearning for physical health is ultimately realized in Jesus himself. And so that's why I say whatever you're seeking after today is ultimately realized. It's ultimately found in Jesus. And this is why the call for all of us is to go to him, to run to him. As Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. So understand that what we want is God. Though we might not verbalize it that way, though we might think that we will be satisfied with something else, the resolution to whatever it is we're looking for is Jesus. Is Jesus. We were created to seek him first and foremost. And, and the reality is, our lives are intended to portray him, to depict him, to be, to be a portrait of Jesus, to give glimpses of Jesus at some level. And, and here's the reality. We're all expert photobombers. If our lives are intended to be a portrait of Jesus, to point people to Jesus, we're continually photobombing that picture, right? We, we want to be doing something goofy, grabbing attention, making it about us in some way. But the call is that it be all about Jesus, that he be who and what we are seeking after, what we are longing for. So though Satan will whisper lies to each of us, and he's going to tell us that what you really want is something less than Jesus. He's going to tell you that this week. Know that what you're yearning for is Jesus. And the things that Satan is going to put before you are most likely good gifts from Jesus. What Satan wants you to do is he wants your gaze to come off of the giver and onto the gift. He wants you to prioritize the gift over the giver. That's all he wants because then your affections are laid on the gift rather than the giver. So all the gifts are intended to point you up 
to the giver, to stir your affections for him. And so that's part of what I want uh, to leave with you. That is what I want to leave with you guys, that uh, whatever it is we find ourselves seeking for and yearning for this week, that we, we would look to Jesus, we would understand that it's ultimately found and realized in him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you love us perfectly. Uh, in the midst of us seeking after many other things, I pray, God, that you would please help us um, to understand, to see more clearly, more profoundly, uh, and with greater impact how you have sought after us. And, and not just sought, but continually seek after us. And so, God, open our eyes. Help us to be able to, to see the beauty and the truth of the gospel. Draw us near, and I pray that we would, we would come and we would see you for who you really are, that you are the true light. You are the light of this world. You are what we desire in the deepest parts of us. So may we not trade, trade in the, the giver for the gift. May we see how they are directly connected and intricately tied. May, as you give us gifts this week, may we understand that uh, they point us back up to you, that they're intended to stir the deepest parts of us, our affections for you, to be in awe of you, that we might say, behold, the Lamb of God, that you would be everything to us. In your great name I pray, amen. If anyone would like to take uh, communion during this set of songs, I want to invite you guys to do that.